from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. I'm your host, Tanya Sam, and today's guest is a former NBA ball player turned entrepreneur. He has founded two, not one, but two, multi-million dollar athleisure wear brands, a faith-based brand called Active Face Sports and Actively Black, with the purpose of uplifting and reinvesting back into the black community. His brands have been featured in Sports Illustrated, ESPN, Time Magazine, and worn by some incredible celebrities all over the globe. Money Movers, please welcome Lanny Smith. Hey, Lanny, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing excellent. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to hear this journey. I mean, already being an NBA ball player has achieved levels of dreams that some of us can only dream of. And then turning that into entrepreneurship on this level, this is going to be a really exciting conversation. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Um, You know, hopefully I don't... uh... I don't get too emotional, man. When I get to start talking about my journey and my story, um, it's so please get emotional. I get so emotional. Try to to keep it keep it intact today. So, but um, I mean, your story's your story, and and that's a beautiful thing. And I think you know this is the point of money news. We really like to highlight um, our hometown heroes and people who are doing incredible things in the in the community. And I think one of the things that right now that's happening is everyone just thinks it's easy and this idea of like overnight success and they don't see the struggle and the hard time and the tears that really go into the glory so i'm grateful for you to be candid but lanny let's start at the beginning you made it to the nba i'm sure that is the beginning of the story where it wasn't just an overnight dream that came true so let's start there yeah i mean uh since the age of five um I knew that I wanted to play in the NBA. Um, I remember watching Michael Jordan and mm-hmm. just feeling this sense of, you know, that's what I want to do. You know what I mean? And, and growing up, that was that was my idol. I, I wanted to be like Mike, like everybody else. Yeah. Um, but it's funny even looking days. back. 
um, you know, elementary school, middle school, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of my classmates, they had the yearbooks. I would sign the back of the yearbook <laughs> with my autograph and my, and my number. Um, and, and, you know, in class, when they would ask what you want to be when you grow up, I, it was always an NBA player. Uh. Uh, every birthday wish, uh, you know, when I'm closing my eyes and, and blowing out the candle, everything was NBA. You know, I, I, I couldn't uh. think of anything else. I was obsessed. Um, I was super blessed to, um, you know, from an early age to be one of the elite uh, players in the country. I was playing AAU basketball with the Nike team from Houston since sixth wow. grade, traveling across the country, playing- You were on the, the track, best. right? Oh yeah, yeah. It was, um, you know, it seemed like such a far-fetched dream to other people, but to me being in it, um, it seemed like that was just gonna be what, what, what my life was gonna be. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and when you're growing up and you're playing against the best of the best from across the country, um, it's, it, it, it doesn't seem as far-fetched, you know, all the guys that I was playing against in my class, um, you know, I'm a graduate, uh, 2003 high school, you know, I, my first time playing against LeBron James was in the seventh grade at AAU Nationals, you know what I mean? So, wow, now that's a story. Yeah. stars in the NBA that I was playing against since, since middle school, really. And so, um, yeah, I was blessed, um, worked really, really hard. Um, my mother, was very instrumental in supporting my dream from early on. Uh, when I told her I wanted to play in the NBA, um, she was outside digging a hole outside to to put it put up my first basketball goal. You know what I mean? Wow! So look at that. She was she was my biggest fan and and really instilled this belief in me that whatever my dreams were, I could accomplish them. And so, um, you know, went to high school was one of the top players in in the state of Texas and in the country. I'm from Houston, Texas, by the way. Got a shout out, H Town, um, <laughs> and. Um, you know, like I said, being a top-ranked player, um, the NBA was, was wasn't far-fetched. It seemed like it was mm -hmm. just something that was going to be um, the natural evolution of, of my career. Um, Lanny, you make it sound really easy, but I feel like the undertone of what you're saying is like you had a lot of support around you, and you had this vision from a really young age that you were going to make it happen. And I, you know, I think there's, we get a lot of athletes on here. We got a lot of very super successful people, but the backbone to that is the discipline that it takes. Oh. I'm sure. Like you, even just you telling about your mom digging a hole yeah. in the backyard to put up the hoop. Like yeah. this was a lot of people helping you to actualize this dream. 100%. You know, um, you know, I had a high school coach that was like a father figure to me that really poured into me. Um, and, and the sacrifice, right? I mean, um, I missed out on a lot of social events growing up. You yeah. know what I mean? I was, uh, you know, I, I wasn't partying. I wasn't hanging out. I was in the gym or I was outside yeah. working on a game. I remember countless nights just being in the garage, dribbling all night. You know, it was something All that, night, y'all. All night. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, people would ask me. Um, my, my, my ball handling ability is one of the things that I was known for when I played basketball and a lot of people asked, you know, well, what kind of drills did you do and how did you get that good at dribbling? I was like, yo, I used to literally be in the in my garage dribbling all night for hours, just dribbling. Um, I used to dribble everywhere and people thought I was obsessed. They thought I was crazy. I mean, I, I you know, I, I would carry a basketball around in school. Like I said, it, it was, it was, um, it, it was an obsession. I, I, I mean, I, there's no other way to put it. It was an obsession. I skipped out on parties. I skipped out on hanging out. Um, I was in the gym um, late at night, all of those things. Um, and that earned me um, the ability to be you know, highly recruited. I was recruited all across the country, um, ACC, Pac-12, uh, Big 12, all of the major conferences um, recruited me out of high school. Uh, my mother had a breast cancer scare after my junior year in high school, and I knew that I was not gonna- oh my gosh gonna yeah. leave home. So um, I ended up committing and signing to the University of Houston where I played my college basketball. Um, uh -huh. And- That must have been a know, hard choice too. Or a hard you know, thing it, as a family to go through, yeah. It, it wasn't a hard choice for me to decide to stay home. Uh, my, my mother, you know, she's, she's like my best friend, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so, um, I, I uh, growing up having her at all of my games, being my number one fan, um, I wanted to, and especially with show up for her the same way she showed up for you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, um, that meant a lot to me to be able to play college basketball in my home city. 
um, represent, you know, where I was from and to be able to have my mother and my friends be there at my games and continue to support mm -hmm. me. Um, and so, yeah, I started out at University of Houston after my sophomore year. Um, that's when I first started kind of getting the attention of, of the NBA um, was um, they had me pegged as a late first round, early second round guy. And after then... my sophomore year. And I was, I was, I remember trying to make that decision. Do I leave school early and declare for the draft or do I stay Ooh, in school? That's a t yeah. My draft status. And you know, when you're, when you're growing up dreaming about the NBA, you dream of walking across that stage, putting on the hat, shaking at the time, David Stern's hand, you, you want that experience. Right. And in order to do that, um, those are normally the guaranteed first rounders. Those are the lottery mm -hmm, picks. Mm -hmm. So, with me being on that borderline of a late first round, early second round guy, uh, made the decision to go back to school to try to improve my draft status so that I could be one of those lottery picks. Be that picks person, yeah. But this is like um, really interesting because it's like you're so intentional with your goals, right? Yeah. You're like, what I want is this and I'm going to do what it takes to do it. And sometimes, you know, we think we take shortcuts and you're like, hey, if it means I have to go back to school to improve my, my game to get... Yeah the dreams that I want, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, so unfortunately I, I returned, I returned to school and unfortunately the practice before the very first game of that following season was in the air and practice a teammate undercut me while I was in the air. And I, um, <gasps> I landed awkwardly and broke a, um, a bone in my foot that completely snapped. No, no. Um, yeah. Um, oh. Ended up having three surgeries on my foot. The last surgery was to save half of my foot from being amputated. <gasps> um, yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, they had to put a screw in my foot to try to fuse the broken bone together, and uh -huh. my foot ended up getting infected. <gasps> um, and they didn't recognize it um, immediately, and so my foot was infected. I remember touching my foot at one point, and it felt hot, like my foot had a fever. Yeah. Called the doctor and told them, and they were like, you need to get in here immediately. So went into that third surgery for them to clean out the infection, and they were saying if that infection had reached that second part of the, that other part of the foot, they were likely going to have to amputate wow. that Wow, Lanny, what a story. Wow. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was, um, you know, so they, they saved my foot. You know, my foot wasn't amputated, but the doctor told me I'd likely never play basketball again. Um, uh -huh. which was uh, devastating to hear. You know yeah. what I mean? Especially yeah. at that point in my career where it seemed like the NBA was the very next step in my journey to then hear that I may never play basketball again was, was, was really, really tough for me. And I remember I started drinking heavy. Um, I was, was kind of losing myself. You know How what old mean? are you at this point now? And I'm in college. I'm what? What am I? Twenties, 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 something like that. Yeah, early. It might be late teens at that. At that, you know, nineteen, yeah. twenty. You know okay. what I mean? And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, at that point, my entire self worth, my self identity, my self esteem, everything was tied into me being this basketball yeah. player. Yeah, that's what everybody right. knew me at. You saw me. It was oh, that's Lenny, the basketball player. You know, I was because I stayed home for college. I could drive around the city of Houston and see myself on these billboards in my own city. You know what I mean? And so oh. then to drastically just kind of have this, this, uh, this injury where they're saying I won't play basketball again, um, it, it really affected me. And so um, growing up, my faith was something that was very important to me. My, my, my mother raised us in the church. You know what I mean? She made sure yep. that uh, my, my faith was something that was at the center of my life. And... I had a, um, a mentor in college um, that was the head of FCA at the time at the University of Houston Fellowship of Christian Athletes named Mikado Henson, who saw me kind of going off the deep end. He saw me losing myself and he pulled me to the side, took me to lunch one day and he was like, listen, I know you're going through it right now, but I want you to understand if you never score another basket, God still loves you. You know, your worth Ooh. is more than just what you're able to do on the basketball court, you know what I mean? And um, that meeting did something to me, just, you know. Oh my God, God puts angels on this yeah. earth for a reason. Um, 
I'll whisper still going things it, in your it, ear that you'll yeah, remember for yeah. the rest of your days. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it kind of centered me. It kind of like woke me up a little bit because I was losing myself, just not, you know, and um, yep. I went against the, the doctor's wishes and orders and decided to start training again to try to play. I didn't want to get, I, I, I mean, this was a dream I had my entire life, you know what I mean? And I wasn't ready to mm-hmm. give up that dream no matter what the doctors were saying. Um, and it was tough, you know, I, I got the medical red shirt, I tried to come back, my foot was swelling up every night. Oh. Um, it, it, it seemed as if I just wasn't going to be able to, to, to do it, um, but I kept at it. Um, so I didn't get drafted, but um, the NBA Development League uh, called mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is the minor league of the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. And they gave me an opportunity to play, which I'm forever grateful for the wow. because um, it, it gave me a chance to still fight for my dream. You know what I mean? And so went to the minor league of the NBA and somewhere, you know, halfway in that first season, physically something clicked and I got back to being the player that I was prior to injury. Wow. And um, after that first season, I got invited to this top 50 camp, they took the top 50 guys in that in the minor league and the G League um, and put us in this camp where they had all the NBA scouts, the G- NBA GMs there. And I did well enough uh, that um, after that, my agent called me and said, man, the Sacramento Kings want to sign you. Um, <gasps> and, um, this is the triumph part of the story. Yeah, yeah. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations 
questions that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So 2008, um, 2009, sorry, 2009, I signed with the Sacramento Kings. And um, as you can imagine, it was just, uh, it was almost an out-of-body experience for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's everything. It's everything. Oh, come on now. You know, to walk into this locker room, to see an official NBA jersey with my name on the back. You know what I mean? Um, Dreams actualized. A year before, I was told I would never play basketball again. You know what I mean? It, 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 it was, it was just this powerful moment. I remember, um, I remember going back to my my room after practice every day, and I would, I would cry in the shower. I literally would oh. break down every day in the shower, and I would cry because, um, just with gratitude. Man. Sometimes it's th- uh, that overwhelming. Man, I mean, this was this was my dream. You know what I mean? And it was like, yo. I thought it was over with, you know what I mean? They told me that I, that it was over and I'm and I'm I'm here, you know what I mean? And that, that was just something powerful. Uh the head coach for the Sacramento Kings at the time, Paul Westfall, rest in peace, he just passed away um 2020, mm. I believe. Um I remember him pulling me aside in practice one day and he was like, you know, the purpose of training camp really is get you guys some, get you guys tired get you guys fatigued see how you're going to perform while you're fatigued getting ready that's for right the that's right you know yeah is 82 games you know what i mean and and he was like you don't get tired like what kind of off-season program did you do you don't seem to get tired out here and i told him i was like coach i do get tired but i remember I just, the here i couldn't walk i remember the yep. moment when the doctors told me i would never play basketball again and when i think about that it, it gives me this energy to keep going, you know, no matter how tired I am. And so um, it was just this this magical time. And it also did something to my faith as well, because my mom used to always tell me growing up, whatever God has for you is for you, no matter what no man says, no matter what anybody says, what God has for you is for you. And, you know, it was in that moment that that this thing she was telling me my whole life, it became real to me because yep. the doctors said I would never play again. People thought my career was over with and here and I am. And just having the faith to believe oh. and keep going and get up every yeah. day and still do the drills. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it did something to my faith. It strengthened my faith. And so um, so here I am, this this high of, of, <laughs> of my life and 33 days, 33 days after I signed my first NBA contract in practice, uh, one of the big men, they were coming to set the screen. I was playing defense. Oh no, I'm not ready for this. I was not prepared for this. No, yeah. no. And um, the bigs tripped over each other and I have two 6'11", 250 pound guys falling to my left knee. No, oh the no. articular cartilage in my left <gasps> knee. I had two microfracture surgeries and my career is over with just like that. We need a breath, y'all. I wasn't ready for that either. Um. Man, I, I'm surprised after all these years. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, no, it's, you know, I mean, this is the thing about when you dream and you dream so passionately and you work so hard for it for so long. It's it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. But like your mom would say, what is for you is for you. Yeah. And here you yeah. are on this completely different tangent of life. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I remember... Um, once again, being devastated, like I said, I had two microfracture surgeries. The career was over with just as fast as it, it, it began. It was over. And yeah. um, I actually remember being uh, being angry with God at the time because I, I couldn't understand. I was like, God, you blessed me with this incredible talent and ability. And then even after the trials and tribulations of the previous injury, you blessed me with the ability to come back and still make this dream that I thought was my purpose in life. I, I thought my purpose was to make it to the NBA, I was gonna be able to take care of my family, take care of my neighborhood, whatever the case may be. And now it was like, this is, this is over. And so here I was, I was a grown man, back at home, living with my mom, no direction on um, 
what I was going to do with the rest of my what life. To do I, I, didn't have, I didn't have a plan B. Like NBA was my was my plan right. A, B, and C. You know what I mean? Um, and that's know. the thing that I think is really hard because often, like we just had, you know, I just talked to other entrepreneurs who were like, you know, you can always fall back on your plan B. But then sometimes it's like that having the plan B that will derail you from actually moving all the mountains possible to make your dream come true. Yeah, and, and, and I say this carefully because when I talk to kids now, mm -hmm. you know, I don't necessarily put it in terms of a plan A or plan B. I just tell them to focus on being as, as well-rounded as possible so that they always have multiple options, right? Because yep. if we're if we're being honest, to make it to the NBA is literally like winning the lottery. The, the chances of it happening, even being a really great player, even if you dedicate yourself, even if you sacrifice, even if you do all those things, there are only 375 jobs in the NBA as a player. That's it. There's only 375 jobs. There's 10 million kids trying to make it to the NBA. That's their dream. If, if you go ask, kids across the country right now that are playing basketball, what oh. are you going to do? I'm, I'm going to go to the NBA, you know what I mean? And then now the game is so global, you're also competing against the kids overseas. Yes. You're competing yeah. against the entire world for 375 jobs. And so um, it's actually a little dangerous to tie your entire self-identity and self-worth and self-esteem to this thing because it's that, that ball is going to stop bouncing one day. But your your life, your worth, who you are is bigger than this game. You know what it's I mean? And so yep. it's this it's this delicate balance of in order to make it, you do have to put everything into it, right? Um, but also, how do you remain tethered to the fact that you're still worth something, even if that doesn't without happen? it? Yeah, oh, it's, it's, and this it's, is such a, I mean, yeah. you also, you know, you mentioned talking to kids and talking to, you know, young men who are young women who are trying to make it into the league either way. It is such a hard thing to teach because they're also at that age where, you know, I mean, we have this years of wisdom, right? We talk yeah. about, you know, getting older and how much, you know, you look back on it and, and to put it, break it down for kids, right? Where they can still be a kid, follow their dreams, believe in hope and faith and all these things, but temper it with like the reality of the world. It's a fine line for kids to watch, to walk, for, sorry. For sure. Um, and, and the other thing is like, you never want to, you know, diminish anybody's dreams and their aspirations. Yeah. And then, but then you also don't want these harsh realities of life to then cripple them. You know what I mean? Because there's so many people right now. I mean, I've got former teammates. I've got guys I played with, played against that are truly struggling in life right now because yeah. their self-worth, their self-identity, their self-esteem was so much tied to this game that yeah. at one point, that at some point it stops and then you don't even know who you are. You have identity crisis. Yeah. All these things happen because you don't know who you are without this basketball, without this football or baseball, or whatever it is. That that can be, you know, you can you can um, uh, talk about that with, with all the different sports. And one of the things that I try to tell people to at least put some perspective on it is, especially when it comes to professional sports, it's a um, it's the complete opposite of almost everything else in life, right? As a if you're going to be a doctor a lawyer, an engineer, the longer that you're in it, the older you get, the more valuable you are because you have more experience, right. right? Yep. With yep. sports, you're old at 30. You know what I mean? You're like you're literally, you're considered old at 30. If you're a 30 year old lawyer, you're like, oh, you popping. You know what I'm saying? You're right. A 30 -year -old right. Lawyer, right. Year -old doctor, you're considered. And trust me, it's the opposite in medicine and doctor because I, in my past life, I used to be an RN and I'd walk in, they'd be like, aren't you too young to be a nurse? I'm not sure I have confidence in you. Or, yeah. I mean, what was crazy to me, I'd be like, oh, this was the craziest thing I ever got. Oh, you're too pretty to be a nurse. Like you're supposed to correlate your looks with your, yeah. I mean, just all that. Yeah. But in sports, you're right. It's so different at 30, you're aging out. And yes. so you need to be able to find other things to tie yourself to so that you can you know invest in cultivating your own self-worth and this is something that i think for our young people and folks listening it's not just sports but just being well-rounded you know yes. and we talk all the time about this multiple streams of income but it's kind mm -hmm. of the same thing multiple streams of self-worth 
Are you a good yes. parent? Are you a good partner? Are you a good friend? Are you a good, you know, all of those things that help you yeah. to really build up a balanced personality. 100%. And, and it, 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 makes, it makes you more, it makes you even more valuable in a sense that um, you can now find success in multiple areas instead of just this one area. You get to diver diversify, you know, your, your talent um, in, in that way. And so, um, yeah, so I, I, I try to, you know, the, the NBA actually hired me, um, you know, a couple years later after it ended. And I actually would go back and talk to NBA teams, NBA players, uh, G League players that actually hired me to go and speak to them to talk about my transition into life after basketball, right? And, you know, one of the most powerful stories that I used to share with the players, because when you're in it, nobody wants to think about life after basketball. You don't want to think about an ending, right? And even though it's inevitable. But one of the most powerful stories that I would share was there was this um, article in Sports Illustrated um, on Michael Jordan. They were doing this interview with him uh, post-career and, you know, full spread. And But there was this one paragraph that just jumped out at me and grabbed me where he said something to the effect of he didn't know if he could ever fully be happy again knowing that he can't play basketball anymore. And that just that just just grabbed me and it shocked me because we're talking about Michael Jordan. So, so you're talking about somebody who accomplished everything you could possibly accomplish in the game of basketball. You're Greatest athlete about, in the world. Exactly. Debatable. A billionaire day, who owns okay. an NBA team. You know what I mean? He's a yeah. billionaire who owns yeah. an NBA team and he's saying this. So that let me know that no matter what end of, the, end of the spectrum you're on, whether you're the greatest to ever do it, or you're a guy like me who was just trying to make it, the the attachment to this game, if you don't have that value and self-worth outside mm -hmm. of it, mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it can stay with you forever. You know, it can stay mm -hmm. with you forever. And so, um, you know, it, it, it was something that, that, was, that was tough. And I feel extremely blessed to be in a position I, I'm in now because I was able to transfer the same passion and work ethic and and everything that I have for basketball, I've, I've been able to transfer that into you know what I'm doing now, um, and so yes, it's even you know kind of make that transition. So I'm I'm back home, grown man at home, living with my mother. Ashamed to go outside because anytime mm -hmm. I went anywhere, somebody's like, "Hey, ain't you supposed to?" What be happened? What happened? Oh, you're that guy. Oh. You supposed to, you Lenny Smith? Ain't you supposed to be the basketball player? And it was like a constant reminder that this dream was over with. You know what I mean? And it's like there's a lot of people, a lot of fans actually, who don't understand that dynamic with players and and their mm -hmm. sport. Right? They look at them mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you're making millions of dollars. You know, stop crying, or it's not a big deal, right? And so what I try yep. to the 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 analogy or how I try to explain it to them is like, imagine if you were a doctor and you did all of these, all of this year, all these years yep. of, of studying and schoolwork and everything to become a doctor. Now, rewind that a little bit. And the only way you could become a doctor is if you were one of the 400 best doctors in the entire world. That's how you have to compare it because these Absolutely. guys, they're 400 of the best basketball players in the entire world. So yep. all of your studying, all of your hard work doesn't even guarantee that you become a doctor. You have to be one of the best 400 in the world to become a doctor. Now imagine you actually achieve that and then two years, three years, seven years, whatever it is, all of a sudden that's, that's taken away. You can no longer be a doctor yep. for the rest of your life. Yep. Listen, let me tell you something. My dad came from Ghana, West Africa on a scholarship mm. to go to med school, became a doctor. And at 77 years of age, the college of physicians actually forced him out and he was heartbroken he wanted to keep working he was getting up in the middle of the night to like he was like but this is who i am and i mean a beautiful identity but it doesn't go away with age and it's even exactly. sharper with youth so like it is such a tough thing and you know but navigating that and trying to find other ways out of that are really yeah. tough, super tough. Um, yeah. I want to touch a little bit on on how you did it because you know you've worked really hard, like in order, you know, just mentally being able to, I think, find the positive voices and support around you, and then have launched two really incredible brands, entrepreneurship. Like, and this yeah. is something that you, you know, you. I think when I look back, you don't look back and say, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I was going to make these. You were going to be in basketball. So how did you make the leap to find success yeah. elsewhere? Yeah, um, it really started with 
uh, for me started with prayer. Um, so I, I was in I was in a position where, like I said, I didn't understand what was happening, what was going on in my life. Everything seemed to be like planned out a certain way. I worked hard. I did all the things that I thought I was supposed mm -hmm. to do, and then it still didn't work out. And so I remember saying this prayer. I was recovering from the second surgery, and I said, uh, God, if 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 this is not for me. If you're taking this away from me, then I'm begging you to show me what you want me to do with my life. I'm submitting to you. Show me what mm. you want me to do. Ladies who are listening to this podcast, this is the equivalent of the Ciara prayer that went viral this summer. Just ask God. He'll give you the answer. And I, and I know it was God because nothing that I'm doing now was ever a thought or an idea Ooh. in my mind. The universe will answer all of your questions. You just have to ask. <laughs> And so probably about a week or so after I said that prayer, I had this idea, this vision came to me clear as day. You know, so I grew up wearing sports apparel, obviously being an athlete, um, had access to the best of the best. I was on Nike teams, Adidas teams, all this stuff. And I thought about, okay, my faith is something that's very important to me. Sports is obviously a huge part of my life. How do I merge these two passions together? Mm. And this idea for creating the Christian version of Nike is basically how the how I saw the vision. Yeah. And that's what faith came to be. And so um, I remember feeling so um, compelled by this, but it was strange because I have no design background. I have no business background. I have no background in any of this. So I'm thinking to myself, God, is this really what you want me to do? Because I don't know how <laughs> I'm supposed to do this. I'm, I'm supposed to go from being a basketball player to starting an apparel brand, a sports apparel brand at that. And um, so when I tell you I went to YouTube University, I mean, I, I mean, I, I literally self-taught myself everything from, I mean, I was Googling, how do you come up with a company name? That's how, but that's this how. Is, this is the meat and potatoes here because everyone thinks, oh, you know, I need a mentor, I need this. You're like, I went to Google University. And so this is where technology sets us apart right now because we're not reading Encyclopedia Britannica to be like, how to be an entrepreneur. This is self-taught. The same discipline that you put into sports and your dribbles, ball handling. You're like, I got to teach myself. Nobody gave yep. it to you. You're like, I figured it out. I didn't go to business school. It's discipline and tough work. Was it easy? Yeah. I mean, this, it was, um, <laughs> I'll say this. Sometimes not knowing and mm. jumping in and having the faith to jump in, there's some power in that because you actually don't know how daunting it is, right? If, yeah. if I knew everything <laughs> so that I was going to take to do this, I might not have done it. But I was yep. so, I was so obsessed with the vision and the purpose and the mission, and that I felt like this is what I was supposed to do. I didn't even think about how daunting this was, or that I wasn't supposed to be able to launch a sports apparel brand by myself. You know what I mean? I didn't think about that. I was like, this is just this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I remember. Um, you know, I was Googling how to come up with a company name and the article said to make columns <laughs> of words that describe what you're trying to do or what your business is. And I did this. I made this list and active and faith were next to each other on this this lit, this column of, of words. And I was like active faith. It made so much sense to me. The double entendre of this active wear line that obviously, you know, we're going to promote being active physically, but also being active in your faith, right? Because faith, uh -huh. is, a, faith is a verb. You got to, you, it's, a, it's an action, right? Um, the Bible says faith without works is dead. Um, so it's not enough to just believe. You have to put the work in, you have to put the action behind it. And so active faith just seemed perfect. So I had the name for the company and I was like, okay, this is going to be named the brand. Um, and then I was trying to figure sometimes out. Sometimes it's that easy. So, you know, people yeah. overthink it. They're like, I need to go and pay someone to create the brand and do all this. Like sometimes this is where it's like that easy and not knowing is better, right? Yeah. You're like, here it is. And, and, and the, I think one of the keys, one of the things that I've been blessed with that I think that has helped me along this journey is when you don't have that fear of failure or when you don't have that fear of what everybody else is gonna think, if this doesn't work, you know what I mean? Because when I, when I first put mm -hmm, this out mm -hmm. there, a lot of people, including people that love and care about me, thought I was crazy. They were like, a Christian sports apparel brand? I've never seen that before. Who uh, has that? What, Christians yeah, can't work out? That doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. And, and, and it didn't make sense to a lot of people at the time. And so 
Um, so I remember I was trying to think what is going to be the tagline for Active Faith because Nike's got Just Do It, Under Armour's got Must Protect This House. I'm like, what's going to be our tagline? And so part of my pregame ritual when I used to play basketball, I used to always pray before I stepped on the court. I would always end my prayers in Jesus' name. I pray, Amen. And mm-hmm. one game, I slipped up, and I said, "In Jesus' name, I play, Amen." Ooh. And, and yeah, I still get That's chills. That's good. So when when I was trying to think of the tagline, it was like this. It came back to me all of a sudden. I wrote it down. I was like, "In Jesus' name, I play," and I was like, "That's it." That's the tagline. So yeah, for active faith. That that I, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. And so um, yeah, I just everything that I put into making it to the NBA, all the passion, all the hard work, all the late nights, and everything. I just transferred that over into building this brand, mm-hmm. building this company. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. was so fortunate in that some of the relationships and the networking that I had done while playing, those relationships ended up helping me. Um, in this transition, um, so my first partners for Active Faith were got one of them was a teammate that I played with in the D League, and the other one was uh, uh, a guy who ended up being his teammate uh, when he got called up to the NBA. It was Anthony Tolliver and Steph Curry uh, were my my oh my gosh with Active Faith. So well, that worked out well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but once again, it's 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 the faith to do things even before other people see it right so when yeah. so I yeah. met, when i met steph and me and steph became friends was his rookie year in the nba and if people have followed his career they know those first few years he struggled with the injuries oh um, yeah um that last but we forget you know, like, that now right oh yeah, you're just exactly. great you're just great right I mean, people were writing him off people were saying you know he was too injury prone he was going to be a bust I think the Warriors at one point were even thinking about trading him. You know what I mean? Like nobody saw this. They, yep. they, 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 they. I remember being on social media, pissed off and upset because I saw so many people like clowning him about the ankle injuries, and they were, yep. you know, all that kind of stuff. And Gosh, so I, um, I forgot about those. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. When he, so when he became part of Active Faith, it wasn't because. I saw, we we knew he was going to become a back-to-back MVP. Right. And he we, was just he was supportive. He was supportive. He understood that what I was putting together with faith and sports. He understood what we were doing with that. Um, and me and him connected because he was going through those injuries. I had just had my career-ending injury, and so there right. were moments where you know we were on the phone praying together. You know what I mean? There were moments where we were having these. We were just like being that encouragement for him and, 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 and being a voice of, you know, keep your head up even in the midst of these injuries in this time, that's kind of where our bond was created. You know what I mean? And so... Question for you. As you sort of were launching and now you've got Active Faith, now you have two brands, Actively Black. Yeah. How yeah. did you segue to make another athleisure brand? Because this yeah, is so. like really about scale now. You've, you've come a long way. Um... Yeah, so Active Faith, so Active Faith just kind of took off on me. Um, I mean, obviously with Steph being involved, um, Jeremy Lin was wearing the brand when Lin Sanity happened. Oh, and he's wow. on the cover of every magazine and he's got an Active Faith wristband on the cover of all these magazines. So we went from being starting out of my mother's garage to Active Faith has customers in 74 countries now. You know what I mean? And so, but, and I, and I say this because this is an important part of the heavy butt, y'all launching actively black i am still a black man in america and Mm -hmm. unfortunately there's a large percentage of my active faith customers that are evangelical christian that could be synonymous with racist in in this country unfortunately um and Mm -hmm. i was afraid that if they knew it was this black man behind the brand it would negatively affect the business so I was actually hiding myself from my company. On Active Faith, there was no, I wasn't on the website, I wasn't on the social media, none of that, you know what I mean? Um, I was afraid that if, if they saw who I was. Wow. And I had yeah. validated my fear. I remember, I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, you're wearing all the hats. I remember doing customer service and I was on a phone call with the Active Faith customer and he was like, you sound like you're black. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I am. Yes, and, I am. And they requested a refund, you know what I mean? <gasps> um, 
Wow. I mean, this is a whole other conversation that I feel like we can dive into, you know, being, you know, as black entrepreneurs and, you know, being very intentional about who you are, what your branding is, you know, as, as a Christian as well, like this, this is, this is difficult to navigate, you know, but I also uphold the piece of it where you're like, look, I'm building a brand based on who I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, so fast forward, I was I was so I began to struggle internally with the fact that I was hiding myself from my own company that I built, and my mother, my father, they both instilled a, a, a pride in me early on in in my blackness, in being black, and so it was bothering me internally that I'm proud of my blackness, but then I'm hiding my blackness from my own company, and so right. this idea of um, if I built this thing for the faith-based community, could I do the same thing for the black community? You know, um, and the power in it is that these brands are bigger than just the apparel. So even for active faith, we still get messages to this day. There are people who were going through chemo and we get these emails and they're like, I felt like giving up. I was exhausted, but I wore my active faith shirt to my chemo treatment today. And it just gave me this encouragement to keep fighting like that's i mean i still get chills when i when i when i think about those types of messages that i that i yep, get yep. like, if this type if this brand could have this impact on the faith-based community can i build something that has that same type of positive impact on the black community yep. and so 2018 um the movie black panther came out i'll never forget walking out of the theater for the first time and just how i felt after seeing that movie for the first time and so i knew then i was like okay i'm gonna do this brand that's gonna be yeah. focused on the community. But Active Faith was keeping me so busy, I just kept putting it on the shelf. Um, I moved to LA six months before the pandemic hit. The city went on lockdown, and I remember saying to myself, I'm not gonna let this time pass without birthing something new. Mm. I didn't know what it would be yet, but I knew I was not gonna let this time pass without birthing something new. And then we all experienced 2020 from our own perspectives and, 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 and points of view. So we saw what happened after the murder of George Floyd um, and everything that followed that, right? And so I saw all of these brands and corporations coming out with these declarations on what they were gonna do for the black community. Um, And to me, it felt very performative. It felt like it was now part of their marketing strategies because to me, for black people anyway, outside of the pandemic element, 2020 wasn't new to black people. This stuff has been happening for centuries. And I was like, well, none of these brands said anything before that. So why now? are they making all of these public declarations? And I was like, you know what? I'm not putting this idea on the shelf any longer. Um, Inc. Magazine called me to do a story on active faith for Juneteenth. They wanted to do a story on a black founder. I said, I'll do the story, but I don't want to do it on active faith. I want to announce this new brand that I'm launching. So Juneteenth, I announced I was going to do actively black and on black Friday, 2020 launched actively black and it has been a that moment to today it's been crazy i love it lanny i love this i love this story i feel like we could talk all day this is like a whole there's so much to unpack here from like overcoming adversity struggle just mental health pulling yourself up um you know and being able to launch these incredible brands but that is all the time we have for today money movers um we might have to bring you back lanny we might have to bring you back because i want to talk about this this second chapter this is something really special no anytime i'm i'm glad to come back um that that's i kind of tried to preface this with like there's a testimony that Uh, all of this and so yeah this is what we love to hear and, you know, I, one thing I'm super passionate about, especially on Money Moves, is not just, you know, you're sort of the perfect cross-section of, like, you've had the celebrity aspect, but you're also a hometown hero, you know, teaching yourself entrepreneurship and just being very candid about the struggles. So I, I we all deeply appreciate you and we love it. Can you please tell our audience where they can find both your brands on social media? Give us the websites. Give us everything yes. so that we can support. Yes, yes. So Active Faith, uh, the website is activefaithsports.com. That's also the same uh, handle on Instagram, Active Faith Sports. And Actively Black, you can find it at activelyblack.com and on Instagram at activelyblack. Um, it's, it's, it's an amazing journey. Uh, we'd love to come back and share more of the stories. Yes. There's definitely both sides of this. A lot of people see the, the, the shiny stuff about entrepreneurship and being a CEO and a founder but there's so much behind the scenes that people don't see that literally um, 
takes everything out of you just to be able to do this. And people need to see, they need to see both sides. So yeah, I would love to to come back and share it. Thank you so much. Money movers, that's all the time we have for today, but make sure you follow Lanny and Actively Black on Instagram. I need you guys to support. I need you guys to check out. They've done some amazing things for the 4th of July as well. And I know that just passed, but you can rock that stuff all year long. Thank you again, Lanny. And we're gonna have to do a deeper dive into this. So don't worry, we will certainly have him back. And if we have helped you make your money move, please make sure to let us know by sending us a like, sharing the knowledge on your social media and or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. make sure to tune in to Money Moves Monday to the Friday and subscribe to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood so that you too can have the keys to financial freedom you so rightly deserve. Thank you so much for tuning in Money Moves audience. If you want more or a recap of this episode, please go to thebankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare the black effect presents family therapy and i'm your host elliot connie Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.